sermon this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I'll be reading 1 through 6 just to give us the full, a fuller picture. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What kind of church makes a pastor give a joyful prayer of thanksgiving like that? I'd like to take this week while Pastor Andy and Pastor Joel are away to look at God's call for our church. This simple phrase, this simple set of verses from Paul is a joy that is erupting from Paul and ultimately one that Jesus Christ himself also enjoys. By encouraging these things in ourselves and in others, we too might make certain that the joy of Jesus Christ and the joy of our pastors is well-founded. We first find out about the Philippian church in Acts 16. If you remember, Paul has a dream of a man from Macedonia calling him to come to Macedonia. So he heads over there and ends up in Philippi. It's a very big city. Not many Jews are there. Paul first goes to the Jews, and they really don't even have a gathering place. There are so few of them. Instead, he goes to them, and only a few believe. And the authorities get sight of this and begin to persecute the church already and put Paul in jail. Now, after a night in jail and many an uproar, Paul is set free, but also told to leave. After he departs from the Philippian church, that church continues to grow and begins to support him in his missionary journeys. One of the gifts that they sent him by way of a man named Epaphroditus is the occasion that this letter comes out of. When Paul receives it, he responds with... Great joy. And throughout the letter, Paul focuses on unity and joy and pressing on to know Christ more deeply. He begins this letter in a style common to that day, but with two big differences, especially for Paul. One is that he includes Timothy in that first line, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus with no distinction except that Paul's name comes first. He also doesn't mention that he's an apostle. Normally in Paul's letter, he is conveying his authority. He's got some big things to convey to the people that he's writing to. So he includes the, his authority as an apostle, 
Well, with the Philippians, he doesn't. He simply mentions that he is also a servant of Christ. The Philippians knew this was not a point of contention for them. They, they knew perfectly well that Paul was an apostle, that he carried the weight of Jesus Christ writing them a letter. So, Paul receives this kind of, or uses this inherited authority uh, that the Philippians know so well in order to encourage them in that unity and that joy and that pressing on to Christ. Our title this morning, I'm going to call the UPC Code, Identifying the Church that Brings Joy. We see how the Philippian church gave Paul reasons to pray in joyful thanksgiving. As our pastors are away, this is a good time, a good opportunity to focus on what it means for us to be a church where our pastors can give joyful praise at their remembrance of us. But ultimately, we're not trying to please only our pastors, right? We are trying to please Jesus Christ, the, our high priest, the shepherd over the under-shepherds who are pastors. And this, these three things, the UPC that I'll explain, are the way that the three things that Paul first talks about when he gives his great prayer of praise and thanksgiving in joy about the Philippians. UPC stands for Universal Product Code. If you don't know what a UPC code is, you can look on the box or on the tag of the next thing you buy. It's on everything. They scan it at the, the register to see what it is. You might be familiar even with an app on your phone that you can scan your own UPC code before you purchase the thing at one store and have it compared to every other store that also sells the same product. It's a universal product code. It's everywhere and identifies that particular thing. This is similar to what we're going to discover about the Christian church, is that it's identifiable. And these three things are going to help us identify it. Just three of many things, but these are three very important things as Paul leads off with them. First is the unity of the church. Next is the partnering in the gospel. And last is continuing in the faith. UP and C, united, partnering, and continuing. The first characteristic of the church that causes its pastor and its God to rejoice is unity. Did you hear in the scripture reading from Second Samuel how Joab leads the army of Israel into battle against two enemies, one on each side, but they have the same enemy, they have the same purpose, they have the same instructions, and they fight in order to support each other. If one side is struggling, the other is supposed to regroup and help, and the same the other way around. 
this is a, a unified army. They have all those things in common and they work together against their enemy. This is similar to the church. Whenever Paul prays in verse 3, he gives extended thanks for joy. He does not give thanks for just the pastors or just the deacons or just the teachers or any particular group, even though he distinguishes them all in the opening. He greets the pastors, he greets the deacons, and greets the church in general. But here he doesn't break it down. It's all, I'm praying for you all. There's no distinction in the unity of the church. There is importance in every one who is a member of the church of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, God is concerned with the unity of his people. And it becomes more so after he sends his son to unify all people in one body. And the New Testament really takes on that weight of this is one body. That's why we call ourselves members of the church, right? We become a member of the church because originally member meant a piece of the body, right? They're the same thing. You're a member of the body because you're, you're part of the church. We've lost that, but it's an important thing to remember that as a member of the church, you are united in a way that's similar to the body. That, that word's been overused to have a membership at Costco and things like that. It's, it's more integrated, more united than that. The, the body works together, similar to how the group of Israelites fought under Joab. Right? They have the same enemy, same instructions, same purpose, same desire. They're, they're working together depending on strength and weakness. This is how the church works in unity. In chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul revisits the theme of joy and unity when he writes, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and here's where he talks about unity specifically, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You see how Paul emphasizes that his joy is being completed there. That joy that he first mentioned in the passage that we're focused on this morning, he returns to and says, you complete my joy by continuing on in that unity, that unity of mind, of love. And then he goes back and says, of one accord, and don't forget the mind, of one mind again. Paul's joy is completed by the unity of the church. So how can we cultivate a unity to better please and praise God? First, one thing that we can do is simply open our Bibles and begin reading. If the Lord desires us to be of one mind and one love, where better place to get his mind from and his heart from but from his word? We spend far too much time doing other things when in fact... The most important things that God has said that we can do is get 
understand his mind, his heart, his love, how he thinks, and then live that out. The second thing that we can do to improve our unity is to pray for one another. I don't know how many of you pray for each other. We have had many tools to do this at the church. Um, you can use the, the directory. Uh, you can use the people that you simply look around at today. You can pray for the same person throughout the week. And then the next week, simply greet someone else during our our time after the service and pray for them for the next week. Lots of ways to pray for each other. But as we pray for each other, it unites us, right? Because we begin to take on that love of God for that person, for their growth in in Christ, for their concerns and their difficulties in their families or in their work or job. We take those things on ourselves just as in other places Paul tells us to do, to take those burdens, to share them with each other and pray for each other. We cultivate unity by gathering together. We gather here on Sunday morning to worship. We gather at fellowship meals. We gather at small group. Hopefully many of us are able to get together during the week just in passing, maybe having lunch. You know, Do you have lunch with your fellow members the same way that you do when you go out to eat with your friends or your co-workers? It's good to keep on the front of our mind that our unity with our fellow believers in our church is closer than any of those relationships. Or at least if it isn't, it ought to be. And we can work on doing that by simply engaging in each other's lives. Our unity in church should be more obvious to each other and to outsiders who visit. When we have our fellowship meals, when we decide where we sit, whether it's there or here, or what weight we put in, whether we go to small group, all those different things should weigh in on us. This this is the church. This is I am a member. I am part of this body that is unified like no other thing. Christ Jesus died so that we could have a unity that fit together, that broke down all other bonds. Now, I don't know how you voted. Uh, I am. I will tell you after how I voted, but it's not important to right now. But no matter how you voted, Christ conquers that division. If you voted for a different candidate in this or that election or the different president than the man who came became president or the uh, the others that ran that this is more important than that this conquers those boundaries this ought to be primary in our thinking and whether whoever you voted for should not impact our, my relationship with you my relationship with you through Jesus Christ should be the primary thing and this should be Secondary, something we can talk about and engage in, but but should in no way break our fellowship or break our unity. A church that makes its pastor, and more importantly, its God joyful, is a united church. The second characteristic of a church which causes its pastor and God to rejoice is partnership in the gospel. 
the Philippians learned from Paul. In all of Paul's missionaries' journeys and all of Paul's imprisonments, we mostly think of the one man Paul. He many times becomes larger than life, right? It seems like he was independent of everyone, but he wasn't. He is constantly mentioning people that are around him, people who are helping him, people, things that he needs others to do for him. For the Philippians, they got this. They understood, oh, Paul needs help out on the missionary field. He needs partners to spread the gospel. And that's part of what they did. And he praises them for it. He turns the main point of his joy is that they have partnered with him now in the gospel. When they do partner with him, they send him Epaphroditus. And he speaks later in Philippians 2 of Epaphroditus as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. The Philippians sent him to minister to Paul's needs, to partner with him in spreading the gospel to be just one of many people that were engaging with him, to get the word and the, the good news out. But this wasn't an isolated event. This wasn't, if you remember, this was just one of many times that they partnered, right? He even says in verse 5, from the first day until now, this has been something that has come up over and over again. Paul has so many evidences of this that he doesn't even mention. He doesn't even begin to mention any of them until later when he thanks them explicitly for Epaphroditus. But this is something constant with them. They are partnering in the gospel constantly. From the first day that they were believers until the time that Paul writes this letter, they are engaged. They are spreading the gospel in whatever way they're able. They are partnering with whoever will help them get the gospel out. Between the time that the Philippian church was founded, right in and around 50 AD, this letter takes place, was probably written 10 to 12 years later. So in that 10 to 12 years, they've been involved in a lot of ministry. They have a history of being faithful in their work and partnering with the gospel. With such a history, this has led to Paul's pray, praise, a source of his joy, and a source of joy that then will catapult him into the next part, his confidence that they are saved because they are continuing in the gospel. So, how can we grow in partnering with the gospel, partnering with others for the gospel? Every week the gospel is preached from this pulpit. We, we sit under that teaching, under that preaching, and we need the gospel to refresh us, and we need the gospel to be refreshed in us so that we hear it expressed in different ways. Jesus came and died and rose again and will return. It's a simple little sentence, 
But there are many things that we can continually pull out of it. There's many reasons we need to go over this and over this. We'll never exhaust it. We could ask questions like, who is Jesus and where did he come from? Can you answer that? Or how about, why did he come? Or what did he do while he was here? Why did he have to die? Why did he rise again? Where is he now? What happens when he returns? How about, how does this change or should it change my life? These questions are endless and we could go on and on with them and we will never exhaust them all. We'll spend part of, we'll, in part, we will spend the rest of eternity exploring the answers to those questions. It will be a great source of delight for us to continue our partnership in the gospel and learning about the gospel for eternity. But we need to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. And the more familiar we are with it, the more we understand it, the more we reword it and rework it to ourselves, the better equipped we are to not only preach it to ourselves, but to preach it to others. This past week could have been a shocking week with the election of the president and many other representatives, but our purpose as Christians hasn't changed at all. It didn't affect our unity and our purpose to spread the gospel, to partner as a church to spread the gospel, isn't affected either. We have a greater purpose than what laws get passed and what is done in different back rooms or right out in public, unfortunately, in with some of our elected people. Much more important is conveying the gospel, is making sure that no matter how those things come to us, that we are still loving people well, for loving the poor, loving the widow, loving the the needy, loving the destitute, loving those who are broken in spirit, no matter who they are or how the government has affected them, we need to be their advocates. We need to love them well by partnering together for the gospel to show them that this is the most important thing, not that whatever they are suffering under, but that also the thing that they are suffering under is important and the gospel will minister to that as well. Then we also need to preach the gospel to other church members. When we preach the gospel to ourselves and become familiar with it and rework it, we can begin to minister it to others and others in the church can minister it back to us. And as we learn how the gospel is working in their lives to build them up, as we're learning how the gospel is reshaping their perspective and working with their heart to make them a better advocate of the gospel in their lives and making them a stronger and a more dependent person on Jesus Christ, we can then use that as we turn to yet others who are not believers and turn to them and say, no, your situation is very much like my own. I am a broken 
angry, hateful, depraved sinner. I am someone who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And I know many people in my church are exactly the same way. I've talked to them. I know their past, I know their past, their history. I know that the gospel has changed their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. I know he can change yours too. I know that he can change your heart so that you depend on Jesus Christ and his blood, that he takes away every wrong thing you've done, takes away all the punishment for all the evil you've done, and in its place puts absolute righteousness, perfection, as if Jesus himself had done everything perfectly for you. Because he did. To convey that to people and to continue to partner with others is a powerful way to partner with each other for the gospel that again delights our God and also our pastors. The third characteristic of a church which causes its pastor and God to rejoice is continuation. You may remember the last several sermon series that Pastor Andy has finished. We saw that Abraham waited 25 years before he had the son that God promised. He was told to leave his home country and travel and wait and wait and wait. 25 years before he had his son. Isaac, we also learned, waited 20 years in prayer for his wife to have their first child. And then Joseph, if we put all the numbers together, the time between when he last saw his family and was sold into slavery until he saw his family again was some 20 to 22 years after. So we see such long periods that, like the Philippians, they continue in faith. They're, they persevere. They keep believing in God that he will fulfill his promises. Maybe he didn't today. Maybe that thing is coming tomorrow. Maybe he's going to resolve that next week. Maybe these things are all coming together next month or next year or in 13 years or 20 years or 22 years or 50 years or when he returns. But we continue in faith. We know that he is true. We know that he will not change his mind, that he will accomplish his ends, that no one can cast him aside, that no one can disobey his plans, that all these things are obedient to him. So we continue in that gospel. We continue in that good news, remembering that Christ has been faithful in the past. And he is still faithful, and he will be faithful in the future. Because of the Philippians' partnership, Paul was elated because that meant that they had spent the last 12 years being Christians. He had extreme confidence that they, they were surely believers that this is where we get our assurance even if we can only look to yesterday when we were saved he says from the first day you're partnering with the gospel from the first day you're praying for people from the first day 
You want others to know from the first day. You want to read your Bible. You want to know more about who God is and what he's done and how to tell others about that and how you should live differently. Right? All these things are evidence. Every time that you sin and you hate your sin and you think this this, this thing was truly evil, though no one else know that I did it, I, I need to ask for forgiveness from God. If these are our patterns, if this is our pattern from the first day until now, then we have strong assurance that we are believers because God is working in us. God is working by the power of His Holy Spirit to continue us to bring us along. And that that whole work, and here is the promise here, that that whole work will be completed on the day of Christ Jesus. Now, there will be a completion, should be a great uh, sigh of relief for us that we no longer someday will need to struggle against sin, will need to fight against temptation, will need to bear up under difficult times with little but faith to help us press on. But it is enough and we will be complete at the day of Christ Jesus. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians thirteen five tells us that we need to test ourselves. <clears throat> we need to ask ourselves those tough questions of have I partnered with the gospel, partnered for the gospel from the first day until now? Am I continuing like the Philippians did? Am I doing the things that forward and put forward the gospel like the Philippians can others see our own good works and the good works of this, of this church can they see that we are partnering do they give praise to our father who is in heaven because they see our good works <clears throat> The church that pleases God and its pastor is a church of believers continuing in their faith to spread the work of the gospel. The UPC church is a united church, a partnering church in the gospel, and a church continuing in the Lord with hope of completion upon his return. The unity of the church must be found in the gospel because of the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In one way, we can say that they are united, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to make sure that we are united. The partnership in the church is sure because Christ has promised to give us the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will work in us to accomplish those things. And the continuing of the church <clears throat> is a source of confidence because we know that it is not us or our strength, but the power of God, the strength of God that, as we said in Sunday school, from our inner being is building us up by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as a church, we need to carry these identifiers. 
so that like a UPC code, we are readily identified by all. A source of praise for our pastor and a source of glory to our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you because you have sent your Son according to your perfect plan to be the author and perfecter of our faith, to work in us with power that you may receive glory that you may receive praise not only from our pastor but from each other. Praise from those who do not yet even know you. That your name might be known. That you might be sought after for the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to persevere in unity, to continue on partnering for your gospel, and that as you do, we would be confident that you have saved us and that it is evident that you are saving us and will complete your work on the day of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.